Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Chief. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a minute. It's been more than a minute. But tonight I am back and you would think we would be talking about college football. We are only two and a half weeks away from the start of the college football season. And while I plan on talking about a lot of college football over the next few weeks and obviously during the regular season that kicks off very soon. Tonight, we're actually going to talk a few minutes about the Atlanta Braves. Not really sure how long the show is going to go tonight, but I just want to talk about what's been going on with the Braves, where we are. I am in the middle right now of watching game four against the Mets. It's two to two in the bottom of the fifth. Acuna is uh, up against DeGrom. It's been an exciting week for Braves fans, and I just want to talk a little bit about what's been going on so far this season, what I think we're going to see the rest of the way, and more importantly, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the franchise itself, Alex Anthopoulos, the deals that have been made this year to solidify the future of this franchise for at least the next decade. So that's what's on tap tonight. I hope you enjoy the show. So I don't think anybody would say that this season started out the way the Braves wanted. They got off to another slow start, similar to last year. Acuna, not quite back from injury. The team just not clicking on all cylinders early in the season. But at the end of May, obviously beginning of June, for the entire month of June, the Braves got hot, got back in the pennant race. And the reason this game tonight against the Mets is so important is because the Mets lead the division by four and a half games with about six weeks seven weeks left in the season and if the Braves win tonight that leads down to three and a half and you know every game counts at this point in the season so what's been so interesting about this year is that what we've really seen crystallized right in front of us is the Braves philosophy on how they plan to run the franchise so to kind of give this a little bit of context I want to take one step back and let's kind of Maybe for some of our younger viewers or some of our older viewers or listeners that have uh, maybe forgotten, there was a time in the 90s when the Braves were one of the biggest spending teams in baseball. In fact, in 1997, the Braves signed Greg Maddox to a five-year contract with an annual value of $11.5 million. And when they did that, it made Greg Maddox in 1997 the highest paid player in baseball at that time. So obviously that that deal would have been for around 57 million for 5 years. So we obviously saw baseball economics change dramatically just a couple of years later. A-Rod's first deal, 10 years, 252 million dollars. That was in 2001 when he signed with the Rangers. Just a few years later, A-Rod would opt out of that deal and signed a 10-year, 275 million dollar uh, contract and and since he signed those two big deals, there have been multiple big name deals, three hundred million dollar plus deals that have been made. So A Rod's two contracts actually rank all time now ninth and tenth um, 
in, in the top 10 of all time uh, total value contracts. So, you know, you got guys now like Machado, Garrett Cole, Bryce Harper, uh, Fernando Tatis, like all of those guys um, are over $300 million in the total contract value. Right now, the highest contract value that uh, exists is Mookie Betts, 12 years, $365 million with the Dodgers. So I say all that to say that what's happened in the last 20 years or so, 25 years now, I guess, is that the economics of baseball changed so dramatically, and the Braves, after Ted Turner was no longer the owner of the team, kind of fell back as far as their spending when compared to the other teams in Major League Baseball. So there was a period of time where it felt like the Braves were having to do things on the cheap. You know, the the end of the John Sherholtz era, the beginning uh, of the Frank N. Wren era, it didn't feel like the Braves were really in big money deal talks. And when Ozuna signed his deal just a couple of years ago, that was for a maximum value, I think at the time, of about $70 million. Um, maybe it was $80 million for four years. I can't remember exactly what it was. But um, when Azuna signed that deal, that was actually the largest free agent contract that the Braves have ever signed up to that time. So as the economics of baseball have gotten just completely silly, the Braves were not able to participate in the silliness, if you will. Now, part of that is because of Liberty Media. Now, a lot of Braves fans have really come to have a, a high level of disdain for Lib- Liberty Media, and I, I don't necessarily want to try to talk anybody out of that point of view, but I would like to at least offer kind of a, a brief history on how we got to where we got to. Now, going back to when Liberty Media took over the Braves, they have always run the Braves like a business. And what does that mean? But just from a very plain, plainly said aspect, they have a budget, they create revenue, and the profits that they make can be reinvested in the team. So essentially that the money that the business makes becomes the budget for the following year. And then obviously when you're talking about sports teams and you have commitments and contracts that go beyond a, a single year, you're budgeting out for five, six, seven, eight years, whatever you're doing. But all of the money you have is money that you've earned. So essentially, the Liberty Media allows the Braves to function sort of independent of Liberty Media, but they have to be a self-sustaining business. So if they don't create any revenue, then they're not going to be able to spend money. Like they only can spend the money they make. Essentially, the way we live, right? So whereas you have teams like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox that have billionaire owners that will constantly, obviously I don't even know who owns the Padres, but they are spending money hand over fist now. You have these guys who are just, they're spending the money and hoping that they can recoup it. Well, the Braves do it the other way around. So after the 2017 season, you know, or I guess prior to the 2017 season when the Braves left Turner Field, uh, a lot of people didn't really understand why that decision was made. What we've seen over the last five years is why that decision was made. At Turner Field, the Braves, still under the ownership of Liberty Media, did not own the right to the parking lots around the stadium. And if I'm not mistaken, I feel like I've read this before, but there was something about the deal they had with their 
food vendor where they didn't even get all of that revenue. When the Braves signed the deal with Cobb County, and again, not trying to get you to change your opinion or really to kind of even speak to the the how, how that deal was made, if certain people got certain incentives, not, not even dealing with all that. But the reason that Truist Park was built, the reason that the battery was built is because the Atlanta Braves are the owners of every parking spot in the battery. Every business in the battery rents from the Braves. That hotel that's there, they lease that space for from the Braves, or maybe they bought it, I don't know. But the Braves own that part of Cobb County, for a lack of a better way of saying it. And every single time you go to whatever restaurant you like to go to in the battery, every single time you park, every single time you do anything before or after or involved with an Atlanta Braves game, the money generated that, that you are spending goes to the Braves. It doesn't go to Liberty Media. And I think maybe that's something that people don't realize. Liberty really lets the Braves be a standalone venture. And because of the success post-pandemic of Truist Park, the, the battery, because of the playoff run last year and all the extra revenue that that has brought in, and because... As of tonight, the Braves are no longer leading MLB in uh, attendance, but they are in the top three of attendance. And it, it's kind of one of those things, if you have a, a homestand, an extended homestand, maybe they go back in first. But they're one of the top teams in Major League Baseball in attendance. And what all of that means is that it's more money that the team is making. And instead of just stowing it away or having to pay it back to their corporate owner, they're able to reinvest it. And what we've seen this year has been that play out dramatically. So the first move that was made, and I guess they were kind of made similarly at the same time, is you had Acuna and Albi sign those deals where the Braves bought out some of their arbitration years and also were able to buy their first few years. I say buy as in like contra contract them through the first few years that they would have potentially been free agents. Now, you, if you, you know, when we get to where we're going, you, there's a lot of criticism of these type of deals. And it's because people who are basically not Braves fans are looking at it and saying, well, it's not fair. You're paying these guys, you know, by the time they get to be their sixth, seventh year in the major leagues when they should be able to cash out and make huge money, you're paying them third, two-thirds, half of what they would be able to make as free agents. And that is true. That's the team's incentive in signing this deal, is that over the course of the entire length of the deal, at the end of the deal, basically, they are, they are getting a break. However, the incentive for these players is that instead of making the league minimum for two or three years and then slowly through arbitration making your way up to you know, seven and a half, 10, 12, 14 million dollars for the first few years of arbitration, you're guaranteed a huge chunk of money. Now, I don't think a lot of the players that the Braves have signed have thought about the fact that they could have a career ending injury. But when Ronald Acuna Jr. went down in Miami last year, he tore his ACL. And thank goodness he's back. He's playing well. He's, he's reestablishing himself as one of the best players in baseball. But had something gone terribly wrong, and he never played another 
game for the Braves. That 102, I think is what it was, million dollar contract that he signed. Obviously, the Braves wouldn't be picking up the, the option years, but this man would have $102 million done, guaranteed, fully, if he never played another game of baseball. That's why they do it. And I don't know how many people that would be sitting at home tonight that wouldn't say, hey, I'll give you $100 million right now to do a job, to play a game. And if you get to the point to where you're not any good at that game anymore, I'm still going to pay you to not play it, essentially. Who wouldn't take that deal? No, we'd all take that deal. And that's why these guys are taking the deal. So those were the first two deals that really kind of started this. But this year it's gone to a different level. So obviously we we you know I talked about on the show probably one of the last shows I did honestly was talking about the Freddie Freeman situation and everything that happened with that. Not going to delve back into that, but for the purposes of what we're talking about tonight, we've got to look at what did Alex Anthopoulos do? A, he went out and traded for the best available first baseman that was on the market. Then what did he do? Before the plane landed in Atlanta, eight years, $168 million contract. He locked Matt Olson up through 2030. Now, what did we find out about, I guess, three or four weeks ago? Austin Riley signed what is now the biggest contract the Braves have ever signed, locking him up. I believe that deal topped $200 million, but locking him up to through 2032. And then just this week, what I think is, you know, I, I'm not criticizing the deal at all, but I think it's the, 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 the deal that says the most. Rookie, Michael Harris Jr., who I believe was called up either at the very end of May or the very beginning of June, was signed to a deal that will keep him with the Braves through the year 2030. And... To me, I think it was a $72 million deal. I think there's some option years on the back end that can then get it close up to, uh, I believe it maxes out around-ish $100 million. But what, what's so interesting is, from what I have read, what people have been tweeting about, just what's been out there, this is a completely new philosophy that the Braves are attempting to implement. Rather than spending insane money on free agents, when most of the time those contracts end up being overpayments, especially for the last two to three years of the contract, depending on the length of the contract, instead of spending all that money on proven guys, find, develop young guys, and then compensate them, but compensate them at a fraction of the cost. Now, why is this critical for the Braves? Well, because the Braves have a very young team. I believe when the Braves won the NL East for the first time in a while in 2018, they had the youngest team in Major League Baseball that year. So it was obvious, even at that point, that the Braves were not going to be able to allow all these guys to reach free agency and keep them. So rather than wait, think, hope, trade people, do all of that kind of stuff, the Braves have been aggressive and locking up their young players to contracts that are very beneficial for the player right now and very beneficial for the team long term. It's it's really if you can if you like business, if you like numbers, if you like economics or any of that kind of stuff, it's really exciting to see something new done in baseball because 
that Yankees really are the first team in the early 2000s that just started just buying guys, right? They just, who's the, you know, I, they bought Roger Clemens from Toronto. They bought all, not, they didn't buy championships, but they had a lot of great players, but they would just go out and get whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted them, and they could just pay more than anybody else could pay. And when you look around, you see what the Dodgers do now. You see what the Padres are doing. You see what the Yankees, again, are doing. They have payrolls that are just out of this world. And while the Braves are going to be have able to have talent out of the world and their payroll is going to be firmly I think probably top seven eight they're going to be a hundred million dollars in some cases maybe lower than the top of it now the key to what they're doing is the philosophy of paying guys when they're younger now there is obviously inherent risk in that Michael Harris Jr. is or the second sorry um he, he, he's only been a big league player for like two months. Are you sure that he's going to be a superstar? Well, I, I think the answer to that is we think, but nothing is sure, right? Now, unless he gets injured, I think what we have seen is he is a way above average center fielder. And so even if his bat doesn't continue to be excellent the way it has been, I think you can feel pretty comfortable that his defense is going to be very valuable and that on defense alone and just, you know, a, a 240, 250 hitter, if that's what he ended up being, I don't know that that's a bad contract at the end by, you know, of it. You know, the, the other piece of this is the, the brilliance of what the Braves have done is they have avoided what's happened to the Washington Nationals over the last few years. The Nationals have lost... Bryce Harper and Juan Soto in the last five years because those players did not want to re-sign with them. Now, apparently, I can't remember exactly what happened with Bryce Harper. They offered him a contract. He felt like it wasn't sufficient. They went back and tried again, and he walked. He went to the Phillies. I think it was 12 years, $330 million. They tried to give Juan Soto essentially half a billion dollars, and this man walked away from them. He said no. Now, I don't know if he didn't want to be in Washington. I don't know. I don't know why. But they offered, reportedly, 15 years, $440 million. That's an annual value of $29.3 million per year. That was the contract that was on the table. He didn't take it, and they have now traded him to the Padres because they didn't want to lose him. By doing what the Braves have done with Acuna, Albies, Harris, Olsen, and Riley, the Braves have avoided that situation with all of those guys. If you look now, and you know this is obviously you know widely published information, but I I looked at it from Jeff Passan. Riley is the third baseman, obviously signed through 2032. Your first baseman, Matt Olson, 2030. Center fielder Michael Harris, 2030. Acuna, 2028. Albies, 2027. Strider, who has obviously been a very important part of the, the rotation this year, 2027. Contreras, 2027. Kyle Wright, important part of the rotation this year, 2026. And Max Freed, still under contract for two more years after this year. So he's under contract through 2024. So with all of that happening, you just realize that this team, I mean, what I just read off right there 
and I didn't include Grissom, who's been up for, I mean, what, like two weeks now. I mean, he's been fantastic so far, but let's let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But Grissom is under contract till 2028. Without Grissom, that's five of your nine everyday position players who are locked up through at least 2027. Contreras is the first position player, the catcher, first position player that would be up. Three of five starters are locked up through 2024. This team is in a wonderful position to be good, not only now, not only next year and the year after, but potentially to be good for the next five to seven years. And in professional sports, that is unheard of. There is not another team in baseball I don't want to get too crazy because I think in football, if you have a quarterback long-term, you can probably, you know, the Chiefs have got Mahomes, so you can assume that they're going to be pretty good for a long time. But in a game like baseball, a team sport like baseball, is there another franchise that you can say, hey, this team is going to have the opportunity to compete for a championship for the next five to seven years? Even the Dodgers, with all their money, you're talking about Walker Bueller just had a season-ending injury, right? Kershaw is not going to be around in five years. A lot of uh, Trey Turner is a free agent after this year. Uh, Muncie, those guys are older guys. I, I don't think it's just a given. Now, what I think is a given that the Dodgers will go out, spend bukus of money and make sure that they are good. But for the team that's currently constructed, it's insane that the Braves can look at the team that they're putting on the field in August of twenty. 22 and feel comfortable that hey in August 2025 we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be playing for us and we're really excited about those guys right so the only bad contract that the Braves have right now is Ozuna and it's my opinion based on the starting lineups that we've seen from Snit for this Mets series I I think it's done I, I I don't think there's going to be another time where they go back to seeing Azuna in the starting lineup every day. I, I'm not saying he's never going to get an at-bat, but I think it's a very real possibility that the Braves will pay him to go away and that he'll be playing for somebody else in the near future. I mean, obviously not this year, but I, I, I don't know that he will be on the team next year. And it's not because the Braves are going to be able to trade him. He has no trade value. But he may be gone and the Braves may be looking at working with Grissom, maybe in left field. I, you know, I, I don't even want to speculate with all of that kind of stuff, but the important thing is the philosophy that the Braves have implemented, A, it's revolutionary. It really, really is. And if this works, if the Braves can pay these guys the way they've been able to pay them and be successful for the next three or four years, you're going to see more teams in baseball adopt the Braves methodology for trying to assess their young talent, lock their young talent up, and use that as a way to be viable and be a contender without having to spend money like the Dodgers, Yankees, and, and, and Padres. Now, what's next, right? That's the question. Obviously, the biggest question going into this offseason that I, I'm not sure we're going to get an answer to during the season is Dansby Swanson. It's a very tricky negotiation with Dansby, not just because he has the same agents that Freddie had during last year's negotiation. I think that piece of it will be overblown. I think the problem with Dansby is if you're getting the Dansby that you've gotten for the second half of 2021 and for the most part, all of 2022, 
that guy has a certain value. I don't know what that value is, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's say it's $20 million a year. So that guy is worth $20 million a year. If you get the Dansby Swanson that you had from 2019, 2018 through 2020, or even the first half of 2021, that guy's good. That guy's excellent defensively, but that guy got injured a lot. And that guy was inconsistent at the plate. So still a lot of potential, still a valuable member of the team, but that guy may be only worth maybe 13 or $14 million a year. And I understand with the way I just described him, it's insane that he's worth 13 or $14 million a year, but that's the economics of baseball. So which Dansby Swanson is Dansby Swanson going to expect to get paid? And which Dansby Swanson do the Braves want to play? And most importantly, can they find a middle ground? And then it becomes about what it became about with Freddie. How many years does Dansby expect he's going to get? He's not a old guy. He's not a super young guy. Is he going to be looking for eight years like Matt Olson got? Eight years at 18, 19, 20? Will the Braves do that? Maybe. But then there's one other consideration, and that's Max Freed. Max Freed's a free agent after the 2024 season, but Max Freed is the best left-handed pitcher in baseball right now. And you, that is going to be expensive. Most likely, that is going to be the richest contract in Atlanta Braves history when it is signed. So I don't believe there's a money problem. Even with everything the Braves have done, even with trying to do something with Dansby and Max Freed, I think they can get both of those deals done. I don't think right now, because of the revenue that's being generated at Truist Park and at the Battery, I don't think they're going to be short on cash. I don't think it's going to be, okay, well, we've done what we could do. Now we're going to have to start picking and choosing a little bit. However, the question is going to be, how big is the Freed contract? And then do you then turn your attention to the next crop, right? You know, if it was this time last year, we'd have all been asking, okay, are we going to buy out some of Ian Anderson's arbitration years? Now, if I say that, you're probably yelling at your you know, phone or whatever you listen to me on. You're yelling, oh, God, no, no. That guy's in Quinnette, isn't he? So that's the piece. Like, And I, the key here, though, it's where I want to kind of finish up and, and, and end tonight, which is what I posted, posted on Facebook earlier this week that got a lot of inter, interaction. I really enjoyed the conversation, but Alex Anthopoulos has gained and he now deserves our complete and utter trust. He's not perfect. The Odorizzi deal, the, the starting pitcher he went out and got, been pretty terrible. You know, in hindsight, did you wish you didn't have Ozuna? Yeah. I mean, everything that happened with him last year was part of that. But then just the decline in his production this year has been very disappointing. But I will tell you, the day they signed Marcelo Zuna was the day that I started having a lot of hope in this franchise's ability to do what they ended up doing last year and win the World Series. Because that was the first time that it felt like we went out and said, hey, we got a guy we want to keep and we're going to spend the money to keep him. Now, that deal didn't work out, but the feelings that I have, I can't, you know, go back and pretend like I wasn't really excited that we signed Marcelo Zuna. So, he's not perfect, Alex, 
but man, he is doing such a wonderful job. He got so much credit during the playoff run last year for the trade deadline deals that he made. I give him a ton of credit for what he did this offseason, going back and getting Rosario, obviously the Olsen deal, but getting Kenley Jansen. Jansen's been fantastic. Like every, not everything he's done. Obviously, the Rich Rod deal at the trade deadline last year where Bryce uh, Wilson goes to the Pirates. Not a great deal. You kind of wish you still had Bryce Wilson. There was things you saw there that he got kind of excited about. But on the whole, this guy has built a perennial contender. He's really revolutionized a methodology for trying to build a franchise. He's investing in young talent that seems to be building blocks for the future. And he's able to win now. The Braves won the World Series last year. The Braves are four and a half games out of first place right now, but very well could win a fifth straight division title. Even if they don't win the division, I have a lot of faith that this Braves team can make another run in the playoffs. This is such a fun time to be a Braves fan. And and the way I said it the other night is kind of where I want to end. I never thought growing up when I did, 1985, that's when I was born. I was six years old in 1991. Waking up and asking my parents every day, did we win? Did we beat the Pirates? Did we beat the Twins? Like, that was that run from 1991 through 2005 or 2006, whenever the streak ended, that 14 straight division championships. That was my childhood. That was my formative years as a Braves fan. And I remember so much of it and I never thought we would be in a position to do anything like that again and let me just be very straight the Mets are annoyingly good they are a trash franchise but this Met team this year is really really good and it's not going to be an indictment on the Braves if they don't win the division right now the Braves have the third best record in the National League four and a half games behind the Mets but the Dodgers are just, they're, they're, they're disgusting right now. They're on a, a heater like the Braves were on in June. But the Braves are an excellent team, and there's nobody, if you told them that the Braves went out and won the National League again and made it back to the World Series, nobody would be shocked by that with this team. We're not underdogs anymore. We're contenders. And Alex Anthopoulos deserves so much credit for, A, rebuilding this franchise after the absolute joke that was Frank Wren and the absolute disgrace that was, I'm not even going to say the man's name, but his first name was John. After what he did, after the crap he pulled, after putting a stain on this franchise, what Alex Anthopoulos has been able to do while rebuilding and winning is remarkable. You're not going to win executive of the year every year. It's like coach of the year. Coach of the year always goes to somebody who like came out of nowhere because you assume, oh, we're experts. We know what these guys are supposed to do. We have to give this guy coach of the year because he got his team to overachieve. Well, Alex Anthopoulos is not going to win executive of the year every year. But since 2018, Alex Anthopoulos has been the best executive in baseball. And if he keeps this up, he's going to be – and he may already be there, but his name is going to be mentioned right alongside John Sherholtz, and that is the biggest compliment anybody can give him. Thank you so much for listening. I am going to try my best 
to really start getting out some shows. Going to try to keep it a little shorter, 30, 45 minutes at the most. Uh, as we lead up to the college football season, we're going to deep dive into the Georgia Bulldogs. We're going to talk some SEC. We're going to get you ready for kickoff, which is, I think, week zero is a week from Saturday, two weeks from Saturday to opening uh, the full weekend of college football. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Take care.